whip smart, nimble satire. Robert Daniels of RogerEbert.com talking about American fiction, our feature review this week. Can't wait to talk about it. It's got a movie that's got a ton of buzz. It won the Audience Award at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's really a big bellwether when it comes to the Oscars. If you win that award, you're at the very least getting a Best Picture nomination. And more often than not, you win Best Picture. A film like King's Speech comes to mind. So American fiction, I've been waiting to see it since it premiered in Toronto in September. And now I got was uh, sent a screener of it. So I can't wait to talk to you all about it. It'll be in theaters in December. Also, the new movie this week silent night john woo new film of course legendary action director this entire film zero dialogue when i say zero i don't mean a word or two no no, there's nothing it's all music and i'll explain why as it's balls to the walls action from john woo also the persian version got sent that screener as well want to check that out that won the audience award at the sundance film festival also a bellwether of success and lastly our old movie this week 15th anniversary of the dark night so much talk around oppenheimer and christopher nolan my kids are at the age now at least the other ones that they can enjoy it so sorry let's watch the dark night was a really enjoyable experience to revisit that film 15 years later and our wild card lisa cortez who we were hoping to have on months ago unfortunately there was a scheduling conflict she was very busy but gracious enough to come back so she's here talking about her documentary called i am richard if you'll recall, I talked about it way back in April, and uh, that actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival back in January. It's now available on Max. So as soon as you listen to the interview, uh, go watch the documentary. It's very good. A whole story of Little Richard. And at one point, Cody and I wanted to include this. She orders a sandwich. Like She did give us a preamble. She goes, listen, in the middle of this, you're going to lose my eye contact. I've got to order a sandwich. Now, you want to include this, and you still may. Now, remember, we haven't aired it yet, this episode. So there's still time for me to leave it in, okay. can I? Yeah, because you were gracious enough to ask. In my head, I'm like, don't even ask. There, how often does a person do an interview then listen to the interview? I, th- I would say never. Some narcissists out there listen to everything they do, I think. I guess that's true. There's definitely an I'm element I'm not saying she is. I don't no. see her being that. Right. So I agree with you. But some people do. Yeah. Greg Cody, if he's on your podcast, he's listening to it. No, he's not. Yes. <laughs> really? For sure. For sure. He would listen if you edited him out and changed something he said, what the intro was like. I just think if he's doing, a, especially a podcast he's not really sure about, yeah. he's going to listen to see how they how they talk no. about him before. He might not even listen to it. He wants to hear how he's set up. He's just like, how are you talking about me? Yeah. See, like if she was listening to this right now, she'd be like, they're leaving that in. Yeah, you're right. So she would be alarmed. I guess I can see that part of Greg. <laughs> if you just want to hear the preamble, the intro, the outro, I'm like, I guess. If you actually listen to the interview, yeah. I'm like, no, I, I know what I said. I'm not really not interested in my own opinions, but regardless, <laughs> that's where he's at. Um so as I said to you last week, I went to Apple Podcasts and it said, see all, and then parentheses 300. But I was very skeptical. It was our 300th episode. So I went back and I counted from when I knew was specifically our 200th episode. And sure enough, last week's episode was not our 300th episode. It was 297. But of sure, course, we're going to get to 300. I mean, a couple more weeks here. So whatever. This is episode number 298. A couple more, we're at 300. I was just laughing. The people were texting me, congrats on 300. I'm like, you didn't. He didn't listen because if you listened, you heard my preamble. You'd know that Cody didn't do the legwork. We're just guessing it's 300. But yeah, sure. Thanks. Rounding the corner into 300. We're sliding into home plate with 300 episodes. Uh, still amazed that we were able to do this. Uh, grateful to you all. How was Thanksgiving for the Cody's? I hope there was a uh, a planes, trains, and automobiles rewatch at some point. If not, hopefully. No, no. I did. It, I did tell my mom. Because like, for some reason, that movie came up. And I was like, I just want you to know Adnan's one of these people that you tell him stuff and he just remembers it. Yeah. You are now the word association that Adnan has with planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes. Anytime it's said, yeah. Chris's mom's favorite movie. And she's just like, yep, that and Bull Durham. I'm like, mom, I knew I knew you. <laughs> and I'll now add Bull Durham to the Chris Cody mom catalog in my head. So I, <laughs> I love that you know that about me. Todd Grisham once said to me, does a fantastic job, of course, for years at ESPN, his own boxing, he's a boxing video game. He goes, you know... Your success is based on one thing. I go, what's that? He goes, you just remember things about people. He goes, that that really is it. He goes, I'll be totally honest. He goes, physically, you're not bringing much to the table. <laughs> he goes, voice is fine. It's not like it's a great voice. It's not like it's Joe Buck. And he goes, but but you have a great skill. He goes, you'll remember things about people. And that's very important in life. You'll go, oh, I remember. You went to University of Miami. You graduated this year. You like this thing. He goes, that, that, is, that has been your career. I feel like it's a weakness of mine as well. So it just, when you do it, it just, I long for it. I'm like, God, I wish I was better at that. <laughs> Secret of my success. Uh, by the way, Joe Buck was fantastic. Speaking of, I'm a huge fan of his. He was awesome in the Levitard show. And props to Chris Cody, who nailed it. I was so happy that I, I saw the clip on social media that I listened to the whole interview. But the fact that Dan said, Chris Cody has a theory. Every time Joe 
has to say, hey, by the way, don't forget the Manning cast over on ESPN2 that Troy Aikman hates it. And Buck's response was, <laughs> moving on. I'm like, yes, <laughs> Cody nailed it. And I love this candor because, well, listen, how would you guys like it if you're doing yeah. a show, you're trying to make the show as good as possible. And oh, by the way, if you want to watch this alternative broadcast over here, like, of course, nobody likes it. But they give us one rating. I appreciate that. Like, he, he tried to soften it, but deep down, they both hate it. How about they don't give you one rating? How about you tell me how much each? Like, give me. I want to know what. Like, is this worth it? We're paying the, the Mannings a lot of money here. Yeah. Like, what? Well, it's one rating. I, I want to see which each what each of these are doing. Yeah, but I love the fact that he also put Levitard on the spot. Levitard's calling him one of the greatest ever, and Joe's like, what? "Come on, like, just take a stand. Am I or am I not?" Stu, that's the great. You are the greatest ever. He's like, "All right, thanks for or much. not, right? Or you're not exactly. No, you're not. Al Michaels yeah. is better than you. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, if that's your Dan Shulman is better at baseball than you. Okay, that's fine. That's your opinion. <laughs> not one of the best ever joining us now on the Dan Levitard show. <laughs> Well, there's a great story Brett us always tells Richard Burton, the legendary actor, him and Elizabeth Taylor, they're being interviewed on some talk show. And, and she says, oh, my God, to be married to him, one of the greatest actors of all time. And he just raises his eyebrow. He goes, one of like he was incensed. <laughs> like, how, like, really? You think Brando's in the same class as me? Anyways, if you haven't listened to it, Joe Buck was great. Listen to the Dan Levitar show as always. You can support them. Uh, upcoming guests, Sebastian Maniscalco, as we speak. We were pitched, we, we, Chris and I, obviously, we'd love to have him on. About My Father's now streaming. I just uh, DVR'd it for my kids. PG-13, I think they can watch it. I'm like, you guys want to watch a dinner movie? You're allowed to watch a dinner movie with Sebastian Maniscalco, and I'll be in the room as well. So they said, well, give you Maniscalco, but you also take another guy as well, Omar J. Dorsey. We said, screw it. I said, but I got to have at least 20 minutes. I said, if you're going to give me the two guests thing, because you did that Michael Sarah, and Sarah was awesome, and I love him. But then the other guy, let's be honest, wasn't nearly as interesting. But because I'm an idiot, I was like, well, there's two people. Ask one question. Ask another question. You have to go equal time. No, no equal time. I shouldn't have done that. I should be like, Michael Sarah is awesome. If I have to interview this other guy, I'm giving you two questions. That's it. Until you get uncomfortable and go, hey, LeBron James. At the Toronto International Film Festival, they had a documentary about his high school basketball team. It was LeBron, the coach, and the players. And I went, LeBron, first question. LeBron, second question. LeBron, third question. And then he was like, no more. you got to ask these guys a question. And he was right. And I was right. I was like, I don't care about these guys. I'm asking you until you stop me. So good news is, fingers did crossed. You, were you like, okay, fine. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I completely acquiesced. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to keep going until he says no. And then she's like, oh, dude, get him in here. And he literally grabbed the guy by the arm. I answered. He wasn't very good. I'm like, whatever. But it's fine. But, but, but so I does LeBron hate LeBron. you? You think LeBron would remember that? No, I don't. <laughs> Although I do remember I was holding a score mic flash. And what he said was, he goes, oh, the score. That's like the ESPN of Canada. And my boss was so thrilled because the score was not the ESPN of Canada. That would be TSN yeah, or Sportsnet. TNN, we, we, yeah. we were the distant third of the ESPN of Canada. He was like, LeBron thinks that about us. I'm like, yeah. he goes, can we use that clip? Like, we got to use that like, as a promo. And I go, he kind of mumbled it under his breath. Like, it's not really going to be like, he didn't look at the camera and go, you're watching the score, the ESPN of Canada. He kind of like, well, right. oh, the score it looks like ESPN up here. I'm like, oh ish yeah <laughs> it got him excited but it, it's in post i don't know if it's really going to crush <laughs> exactly so good news is maniscalco fingers crossed we can get up to 30 minutes with him so that's fantastic news cannot wait uh sebastian maniscalco coming soon here to cinephile all right let's talk about the movies at hand this is truly screener season so i'm getting inundated right now although i'll be honest the two that i most want i'm still waiting on the one i really want to see is maestro bradley cooper's movie which i just watched him on colbert i don't know if i've ever, I've ever told you i do this so with late night comedians and talk show hosts most people have a guy right i'm a colbert fan i'm a fallon fan etc what i do is this is i agree this is very peculiar before i even tell you i i i check the tv guy for the week like on my direct tv i go through it and i check who the guests are and then i record depending on the guest so if someone said are you a kimmel guy i'm like well it depends on who the guest is like i just go through it now i would find by generally by what i watch i don't watch as much fallon i don't care for Fallon as much a little sycophantic i just don't find him as funny kimmel sports guy so i like that about him and i think colbert is sharp so i, I really generally like colbert and kimmel but I, I only watch based on who the guest is yeah but aren't all of those interviews on all of those shows just never any good because it's just like they get like 12 minutes with them yeah it feels like it's all pre i don't know i just always feel like that's the worst version of interviews out there is and it's not against any of those guys sure. those are all funny guys but it's just that style that format quick uh like every question feels like it's been pre-interviewed mm. it's just i just never leave those interviews feeling man that was really good Wait, you are right because you've been a part of the machine for so long like i can watch it and colbert's is heavily edited i'm like they must go so long because every time they'll cut to a close because we gotta take a quick break come back more with bradley cooper and i go okay they went long that's clearly an edit the way he did that like it was just yes. so obvious so i'm like what was the stuff they took out and you're right. A lot of his preordained, and you, you can feel it sometimes, right? Like, especially Bradley Cooper, which is why I'm very excited to see Maestro, because he was like so passionate about it. And he was like, I spent six years studying the role and researching, and he's clearly into it. But to your point, 
And Colbert wasn't very specific in his praise. He's just like, oh, I love the movie, man. Leonard Bernstein, what a story. I'm like, did you actually watch it? Or do you just know Leonard Bernstein's a famous movie person and you're clearly into him, Bradley Cooper? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm with you that I you can definitely kind of spot the phoniness. But with some guys, it's a little bit more authentic. Um, Giamatti was great. Giamatti was on both Colbert and Seth Myers, which just puts a knife through my heart that he still won't come on Cinephile. But he's such a great guest. Like, he's just naturally funny. And Colbert said to him, he's like, his... He's like, you were cast in mind for this role. He's like, that's right. He goes, Alexander had worked with you, obviously, on Sideways, and he wanted to cast you. He goes, but this is a character who has a bad eye and smells like fish. And Giovanni starts laughing. He's like, I was so flattered. I'm like, wow, you thought of me for that role. And you even named the character Paul to make it easy for me. Like, <laughs> hey, we named him Paul. He smells like fish. He's a guy with no friends, loser, bad eye. But it's me. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's Giovanni. <laughs> of course it's me. But he's got a podcast, which I think this might be our hook. We got to talk to Laura, try to get him on because he's got a podcast called Chinwag. So, guy, hey, Paul. Podcaster to podcaster, right? I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work. I know you don't want to talk about your dad. And you don't want to talk about baseball. I totally get that. We got to have you on. So fingers crossed. The other thing that he did say that was funny was he was getting stories about in high school and like, you know, because he went to prep school and stuff. His dad was an academic, obviously the late Bart G. Mai, for those that don't know, commissioner of Major League Baseball. He was a National League president for three years. He was a Major League commissioner five months, very famously banned Pete Rose from baseball and shortly after had a heart attack. So Understandably, Paul Giamatti, not a baseball guy, doesn't like talking about baseball. His brother's a huge baseball fan, Marcus Giamatti, who's a, an actor, obviously not really near his brother. But anyways, Giamatti's talking about sports in general. And he said the worst thing ever when he was in high school was being on the swim team. And he said it was a disaster. And Seth Meyer starts laughing because, you know, when you go to a baseball game, there's a smell of the fresh cut grass, the sunshine, the blue skies. Because, yeah, he goes, the swim team was awful. Giamatti's like, oh, because it smells like chlorine. It's unnaturally hot. And he goes, it's like two minutes and that's it. And he goes, when you're watching it and the Olympics, which always has very good ratings, it's a high aerial angle. So you see them swimming. Because if you watch swimming in person, it's just a straight line. And then eventually you think your kid touches the wall and goes to the other wall. And he goes, and it's two minutes. You go to a swim meet, it's five hours, and your kid's competing in the 12th event out of 27. It's the worst. He goes, the fact I was in the swim he goes, and by the way, you do it, you get your ass kicked, you're on the bus afterwards, you're freezing. People are mocking you. He's like, nothing worse than swim team. And he goes, wrestling team, not bad, not great either. Because because you think it's wrestling like with ropes and stuff, <laughs> power driving a guy. It's you're just leaning on a guy. The whole a wrestling, high school wrestling match, you're just leaning on a guy the whole time. So he said, I, I had a lot of memories. And of course, he's talking about the holdovers, which you should all see. Fantastic movie, one of my favorite movies of the year. I was sent the screener as well, so I'm going to rewatch that again. But Giamatti, just a great talk show guest. He would crush her in Cinephile. Go ahead, Cody. You were looking something up. I was just looking up Mark Giamatti. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're looking up his and dad, I was like, Bart, I was, or the brother? The brother. Yeah, I was Marcus. just like, oh, I wonder if I've seen him in anything. He's just like a big Blue Bloods guy, you know, like yeah. a lot of TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Of, he's, uh... he's like a New York TV actor. That's right. Mar Marcus Giamatti. <laughs> big baseball guy. We, you know what? Pretty good chance we can get Marcus Giamatti. He might know who I'm I am. Down. MLB Network, like Marcus, we'll have you on. By the way, can we get your brother? Like, what? That's what we should do. We're getting Maniscalco with somebody else. We'll get the Giamatti brothers. Screw it. Paul, will you come I on if we bring on your brother? Not sure that's going to work, but I like where your head's Maybe at. Maybe sibling rivalry doesn't want to have him on. Perhaps we shall see. But I say we have Mark on and just act like we just want Mark on. And at the very end, we throw in the little, <laughs> hey, can you, give, what, can you give me your brother's number? I'm sure he's not gotten any of that in his no, life. I'm sure. never. Every single time he speaks to somebody. It feels like Bill Ripken. <laughs> Anyways, Paul Giamatti crushing it on talk shows. I saw him on Colbert and on Seth Meyers. You should go out watch the holdovers. And I saw Bradley Cooper on Colbert, and he was excellent. I'm waiting for that screener. So seriously, send me the damn screener. Bradley Cooper in Maestro wrote, directed, stars, produces, everything. I can't wait to see it. And Napoleon. Those are the two I'm really waiting on. Napoleon's currently in theaters. And Maestro, once I get those, we'll get after. But here's the good news. I got the one that no one's seen yet. Ha ha. Lucky me. American fiction, which is what we dive into today. And this movie, I could not wait to see. As I mentioned, a lot of love there at the Toronto International Film Festival. Here's a story. A novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. It's a fantastic story, and it's written and directed, co-written by Cord Jefferson, directed by him as well, and it's based in a book, and it's fantastic. Jeffrey Wright has long been a terrific actor. I loved him in, uh, he played Dr. King in a movie called Boycott, HBO TV movie, phenomenal. I mean, if that was a fiction film, like, you know, a feature film, I should say, like what um, Ava DuVernay did with Selma, like that should have won awards. I, I believe if he wasn't nominated for the Emmy, he definitely won it, but regardless, Jeffrey Wright's been one of those actors, greats for so long. And finally, I hope this will be the role that gets him a Best Actor nomination. He plays Thelonious Monk Ellison. Again, if you're a jazz fan, as I am, as soon as I, I loved it, his name is Thelonious Ellison. Of course, Thelonious Monk, the very famous jazz pianist. So he, he goes by the nickname Monk. And frustrated guy, disaffected by life. He's written a great book. He's calling his agent, John Ortiz. 
We've all been this way in life, haven't we? We all, we all had a book we want to write. We've all written a book, perhaps couldn't get it sold. And he's talking to the author and he goes, listen, man, your book is really smart and it's good, but it's not entertaining. It's not going to sell. And he says, you know, they just think it's black enough. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, am I supposed to like, you know, have gold chains and talking to rap? And he goes, this, this is all that they want. All these publishers want are these so-called black stories. They want stories about a single mom who's addicted to crack and, you know, overcome all this adversity living in the inner city. Or they want stories of rappers or athletes. He's like, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. Like, why can't I just write a story about black middle-class families? Like, that's just not going to sell. Starts going into his life. Tracy Ellis Ross, who is terrific as his sister, tells an excellent Roe versus Wade joke. I will not blow that, but it's an excellent Roe versus... I, think about that. How the hell could you tell a Roe versus Wade joke? But she does it. Abortion humor out of the gate in American fiction. Um, and she's always such a good presence. I'm not a guy who watches Blackish, but I've always heard that she's an excellent actress in the show, so I'm not surprised she's good in the movie. Issa Rae, again, people know her work as well on HBO. She's very good in the movie. Keith David, great character actor. But the guy who steals the show is Sterling K. Brown. He is hilarious, playing Jeffrey Wright's very gay brother who lost his wife when she found him in bed with another man, and his kids despise him, and the identity crisis he's going through, very funny and played for a lot of laughs. But eventually, Monk comes upon the idea you know what? Screw it. My book's not selling. I'm going to write a so-called black novel. I'm going to write in Ebonics. I'm going to have the typical story that these guys want. Like, fine, that's what's going to work. And guess what happens? His agent calls him and goes, you're never going to believe it. They want to buy the book. He goes, finally, my book's going to get sold. He goes, no, oh, no, not the book that you, the one that you wrote. Like, he's like, no, the one that I wrote as a joke, like the ridiculous one. He's like, yeah, the super black one. He's like, yeah, seven figures. Like, they love it. Like, dude, this book is going to make you rich. He's like, oh, my God. God, it just confirms all of his worst fears about the publishing industry and the way the story goes. And it's razor sharp satire. It's incredibly funny and it's smart and it's really well acted. And Cord Jefferson's a name I'm not familiar with, but I'm going to look forward to his work because he's really got a shorthand when it comes to the dialogue and the direction as well. And as I mentioned, Jeffrey Wright has long been an excellent actor. I hope he finally gets awarded with the best actor nomination. It's a loaded category. I mean, the, the, the four locks right now, Cooper for Maestro, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, DiCaprio for the Killers of the Flower Moon and uh, Giamatti for the holdovers. Those four really feel like strong locks. So hopefully Jeffrey Wright crashes the party. But if you're looking for a genuinely funny movie that really pokes fun at the satire today and black culture specifically, you're really going to enjoy it. I'm going to give American fiction three and a half Maple Leafs. I can certainly see why it won the Audience Award at the Toronto International Film Festival and why it's getting so much buzz. It'll be in theaters in December. Next up, Silent Night. A grieving father enacts his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on Christmas Eve. It's directed by John Woo. First, a couple of blurbs here in American Fiction. Nicholas Rapoy to Financial Times. The consequences transcend the usual parodies of cultural commodification because of Wright's finely tuned reactions to each fresh indignity. And Candace Frederick of Huffington Post. It all feels like it wants to be a broad comedy about race and wholly uninterested in what it wants to say about it. I disagree with Candace. I thought it was great. Step back to Silent Night. John Woo, legendary director, hard-boiled. The Killer, Face Off, Hard Target, Jean-Claude Van Damme. This guy is a guy who has brought action to a, a different level. And if you know a John Woo movie, you know you're getting lots of balletic violence, slow act, slow motion violence, highly influenced by Sam Peckinpah and the Wild Bunch, doves flying in slow motion, and generally performances that are just turned up to 11. If you watch Face Off and see the work that Travolta and Nick Cage are doing, that's the way... John Woo wants his actors to be as expressive as possible. Some argue over the top. I would argue it's adrenalized and very passionate, which is why Silent Light is so interesting, because it's a lot more subdued than I would expect of a John Woo movie. Again, a grieving father enacting his long way to revenge, and it's completely zero dialogue. So going into the movie. How does that work? Yeah. Explain that to me. How do you figure things out? Yeah. So right, right out of the gate, you know, you see a big action chase. He puts you right in the story. This guy's getting chased, and Joel Kinnaman, who plays the lead actor of uh, Godlock, is his name, gets shot in the throat. So they take him to the hospital, and later on, you see a scene with his wife, and you know she's trying to talk to him, and he's trying to whisper the words, and instead, the music is just going. So you can surmise the fact that he can't talk, that he's basically been shot, and his vocal cords don't work. Of course, one would argue it would be nice if everybody else in the movie could talk, but I guess he's trying to make a subjective story in that because he can't talk, nobody can talk. But you're right. As far as things getting it done, it's all just done through like looks and glances. And like, you know, she starts saying something to him, but you can't hear anything, obviously. But then it cuts to a shot of what happened to their daughter. And all of a sudden you see the rage in his eyes and like, okay, that's he's plotting revenge. You cut to the next shot. You see the villain. He's, you know, he's texting somebody. What does the text read? You know, meet me tonight. You got to get this guy, kill him, watch out for him. That's the way information is being conveyed. But a lot of it is through gestures, through physical looks, you know, points, stares, grimaces, training montages. I mean, it's a fairly- Were you into plot. it? Or are you, are you like, is it a lot of work? 
Well, I'll it feels be like a lot of work. I, to I watch adore this movie. John Woo's work, which is why I was so excited. And I said, "Listen, he is again as brilliant an action director as you will know of the last thirty years." But I will be honest; even at an hour forty, this felt like a bit of a chore at times. I was like, "I, I could use some dialogue here. Like, I, I, I can follow the story. It's a, it's a very straightforward story. It's a revenge tale. Guy got shot in the throat." And he's pissed what happened to his kid. And he wants to get revenge. OK, so there's no elaborate setup. I, I can follow what's happening, but it would have been nice just a few times for a little bit of dialogue, some juicy Tarantino s dialogue of what's happening and bad guys and villains. And, <laughs> so it's it's one of those. It movies. would have been funny. Sorry to jump in. Yeah. It would have been funny if like randomly in the middle of the movie, there was just one scene with talking. Yes. That's true, because the whole movie, <laughs> like, like, there's no time. And they're like, we're going to have one scene. This one, you can yeah. actually get used to talking. And then, uh, and it could yeah. be useless. It could just be like him at a gas station. Like, <laughs> I just like the idea of just messing with the audience. And like, for no reason at all, there is one scene with talking. Right. And they go, oh, is it a critical scene? Does it explain everything about the movie? No. He just orders a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> just troll the audience. Yeah, would be a good idea. At least you know when you go in, you go, okay, it's called Silent Night. And I'm sure most people watching are like, oh, I'm aware that there's zero dialogue in this movie. So you can kind of mentally prepare for it. I think if you went in and you didn't know that, you'd go, when the hell are they going to talk? This is kind of weird. 10 minutes in, like, what? Like, when I watched The Artist, I knew it's a silent film. One best picture, best director, et cetera. Like, you're aware of what you're getting into. Rosillo, I gave him The Artist. I had like a burned DVD copy. He never got around to it. He said, I couldn't get out of the car. I'm like, what do you mean? You wanted to watch? You asked me for it. He's like, I did. And I was in my car. And every time I'd see it, I go, I, I just don't want to sit through a two-hour silent movie. I go, well, I don't, I don't know why you want to see it. I want to see it. One best picture. I want to watch it. And I just couldn't. I go, I understand. You feel like you should watch it. You, you lack the discipline to actually do it. He's like, I got it. Silent Night. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. There are some good action sequences. Again, John Woo is a legend. But I'll be honest. This is a movie that sounds more interesting in terms of the actual idea of it rather than absolute execution. I think it's an idea that's certainly noble. And again, it's forward thinking. But as far as a movie, it's a little tough. Here's some reviews for you. Uh, Fico Canjano of Cine Express, a modern silent action film that delivers on its simple yet nifty premise. John Woo's newest movie, first U.S. feature in 20 years, has some of the best action of the year. Aaron Neuwirth, while there are highlights, Silent Night often feels like it drifts off other successful attempts to revitalize the action film genre. And Paul Attard, Slant Magazine, no relation to Bertie Attard, Silent Night is as much a revenge thriller as it is a thorny look at how the voiceless, when pushed far enough, will do whatever they can and by whatever means necessary to make themselves heard. That writing, I would have liked that dialogue in the movie. That's what I'm telling you right now. Two and a half Maple Leafs when it comes to Silent Night. One more, and then we'll get to The Dark Knight and then our special guest, the Persian version. When a large Iranian-American family gathers, a family secret is uncovered that catapults the estranged mother and daughter into an exploration of the past and discover they're more alike than they know. It's written and directed by Mariam Kashavaras. And um, this was a movie I thought I would really enjoy. I saw the trailer and, you know, they've got girls just want to have fun, a little Cindy Lauper action. And it looks like one of these funny fish out of water comedies. Persian immigrant family. The girl is one of nine. She's got eight brothers. She's a lesbian. Gets knocked up by a drag queen. She has a one night stand with and also has to have his baby. And I go, OK, this looks like it's going to be just a funny, straight up movie and interesting characters, unique, et cetera. And it certainly starts on that premise. Yes, she is gay. Yes, her marriage got upended because of issues with her and her ex. Um, yes, she gets knocked up in a one night stand, which, again, it comes through in the trailer. So I don't think I'm spoiling anything for you by a drag queen who's in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. She goes, oh, God, I just love drag queens. And then it's turned on by him. And then all of a sudden has to tell her uh, immigrant parents that she's pregnant by man, even though she's gay, and her brothers have to react to it as well. But then the story takes a real shift. I was expecting a really funny comedy, comedy of manners, perhaps. But instead, it becomes a really dramatic story, and it becomes a mother-daughter story. And that's not to say it isn't a good movie, but it's just not the movie I was expecting. With Silent Night, I knew exactly what I was getting, a silent action movie from John Woo. With the Persian version, I thought I was getting a riotous comedy, which was smart and clever, and instead... I got a comedy that was ended up being a really serious drama and, and really kind of shifted in tone. And therefore, it's a lukewarm review for me. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. I love the lead actress, Layla Mohammadi. I think she's very talented, very attractive. So that kept my interest. And I, I like the cast in general. The mom is excellent. Niusha Noor plays Shireen. But this is one of those bait and switches. When I went into a movie expecting some big belly laughs and, and comedy, I said, wow, you left a lot of comedy on the table. Like you're a child of nine. And there wasn't really any development as far as the eight brothers, the father's sick in the hospital. Again, it really just becomes a focused 
mother-daughter story. And it does that, I think, in a strong enough manner. Although, again, I'll be honest, I've seen enough immigrant stories, whether it's The Namesake, which is a great film here and there. Like, you got to kind of tell me something different at this point. Like, I, I kind of knew where this story was going as far as mother-daughter and choices. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have heart. But at the end of the day, I felt a little something was lacking. Are there any good examples of bait and switches in movies <laughs> where you like, no, I'm, I'm actually yeah. being serious, where you went in expecting something, you got something else, but it turned out to be one of your favorites or something. I'm just, maybe not. Maybe no, it's no, no. It's definitely, you're, you're definitely right. Sometimes you have expectations, it becomes something else. I and mean, there's definitely been examples of that. There's been examples. It's of usually negative, that, though. It's usually negative. It's usually though. negative. Yeah. The only time that I like, like Mad Max Fury Road, I remember I was excited to see, and then it overwhelmed my expectations. Like, I thought it'd be a good movie. Like, not a good action movie. And then I was like, this is an incredible movie. Like, this is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. So that happens. Sometimes, though, generally, I you're I still right. can't believe how much you love Mad Max. Yeah. Because I saw Mad Max in theaters, and to me, it was just a, a chaotic. We're just in this desert, and we're on the car. Like, yeah. I didn't. I don't even remember any, like, plot points. or. You're right. like, there isn't much like, of a plot. They literally go in one direction. Just chaos. And then they stop, and they go in the other direction. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I just think I gotta rewatch that. Yeah, because you say you speak so highly of I it, do but I just remember highly. just being like, "This is a lot." Yeah, I, I mean, I think my brother wasn't crazy about it too. Like, yeah, I remember because he likes action movies. He was kind of like me. Like you, he's kind of like you. He's like, like, I liked it. Like, you really love Mad Max. Like, no, I think it's yeah. an incredible movie. Like, incredible, it's like an incredible movie. But you're right. You had it in your top ten of the decade. Yeah, right? my list was so much better than Samson's too. Yeah, it was. People love my list. Although I give Samson credit, <laughs> he gave me props for first reform. He's like, you know, that is a deep cut. That is a great movie. Ethan Hawke playing a priest. Fantastic movie. Uh, Paul Schrader movie. Anyways, uh, back to the bait and switch. Persian version. Yeah. Maybe check it out. Again, especially audience award at Sundance Film Festival. I'm expecting like a brilliant movie. And uh, I'll be honest, it wasn't really a brilliant movie. Here's some views for you. Roxana Haddadi of New York Magazine. The Persian version tells an affecting and painful story about what womanhood demands and imagines and about how someone can step forward into a life they sculpt for themselves at any age and in any place. Yeah, kind of been there, done that. Mick LaSalle, San Francisco Chronicle. I love this review. Great work by Cody finding this. If Kashavars, who is the writer-director, were in a room with you talking about her own mother in this way, you'd try to change the subject. If you were a therapist, <laughs> you'd fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that is a funny blurb when it comes to the Persian version. One more for you. Jocelyn Novak, Associated Press. The rebelliousness of each of the strong women here somehow coalesces into understanding. Such moments can be sappy, but here, as with her lovely opening shot, Keshavaris does it well. She sticks the landing. Only thing I like to at one point she's talking about, I mean, it's great, again, one of these stories of like trying to be artistic when your parents don't want you to go in that direction. And at one point, the voiceover says she wanted to be the Iranian Scorsese. So I did like that. The fact that Marty did get a shot up, that was awesome. All right, Dark Knight. I want to let Chris take it first. 15th anniversary, Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. I just got the screener sent to me. So 4K plus Blu-ray DVD. I got the Oppenheimer screenplay sent to me. And for my buddy Alpha Hill One, who never misses an episode, I got this giant vinyl. And I was like, oh, my God, he is, he is going to go nuts when I give him this LP. So it's just the score by Ludwig Gordonson. Normally, uh, you know, it's it's uh, Hans Zimmer who does the score. But this time he's got Ludwig doing it. So giant slab of vinyl right now on my desk. And I've also got uh, I've got the DVD and I've got the book. But I said to myself, you know what? Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, this may be his great achievement. This may be the moment he finally wins an Oscar. Let's go back to what many people feel like is his greatest movie. And that would be The Dark Knight. Cody, where are you on the dark now? As you just said, you're a little shocked by how much I love, uh, you know, in this instance, Mad Max. Where is your level of appreciation in Dark Knight? It's my favorite superhero movie ever. In terms of performances by just every actor, like if, if you said to me, what's a movie where every single person put on a great performance? I feel like in this role, like Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Dent, uh, obviously uh, Christian Bale, uh, Alfred, uh, obviously the Joker, like it is just every single role in this movie is just hit out of the park. I think the casting is great. Uh, I love the, what is it? It feels sad. This movie, this movie, Christopher Nolan paints the, just the scene of this movie so well. Like it is just, I can't say enough. It's, it's one of those movies every single time it's on, I'm stopping on it. And it is just, it's great. I love that you're all in on it. And uh, I'm with you. I, I share your sentiments as far as its rewatchability, which is often a way that you can really appreciate a film. Although ironically, the where, first scene, oh, the first scene. Exactly. You're locked in. It's a bank robber. Like who's not, who's not locked in on a bank robber? Where are you at on the Dark Knight Rises, the sequel? Bane. <sighs> I do love the way Bane talks. I do love or Jess, yeah, Jess is big you on, that, yeah, on your show. <laughs> uh, I didn't love. I thought that it. I thought that it kind of 
it peaked at the Dark Knight. I will say that. I did not love it. it you can't follow that. Like Bane tried to follow the Joker, but you can't follow Heath Ledger in the Joker. 100%. Because Batman Begins, I liked it. Not cram, but probably like you on Mad Max. Setting the table. A lot of table setting. It's like, this is slow. It's like too much of him training. Like the first like hours, yes. like, all right, we got it. Couldn't agree more. Like, I think I've seen it. I've definitely seen it once. I was going to say I've seen it twice. I don't know if I've seen it twice. I think I saw Batman Begins the first time. I the first one, no. Dark Knight, yeah. I've seen a handful of times. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises, I think I've seen twice now. The reason I asked you about it was, as soon as the kids enjoyed Dark Knight so much, we put the Dark Knight Rises on and could not have been more boring. Like the first half an hour, I'm like, oh my God, these guys are like, can we just forward this thing? Because I'm like, no, I remember. Like I'm with you. I'm like, no, I like the way Bane talks. I love that football sequence. I think it's Heinz Ward who's running as the field collapses. The football scene is great. Great. Final 20 minutes is great. Big climax. Love that last shot Michael Caine sees, you know, Christian Bale in Paris. I'm like, I remember a lot of things I liked about this, but that first half an hour is a slog. It's just a bunch of new characters and half of his cat women. So not great. Back to Dark Knight. Phenomenal movie. And what's so good about it, as Chris mentioned, the rewatchability, in some ways feels like a De Palma movie, right? It's got this operatic sweep to it, this uh, grandeur, you know, much like the way De Palma kind of gave that arc to Scarface. You feel like no one's bringing that as well. You feel like this is a larger than life story. And yet it's very gritty. It's got that Sidney Lumet, New York era feel to it. Bank robbers on the ground, et cetera. And of course, all of it is is anchored by and just beautifully led by Heath Ledger. As Chris said, his performance is just so watchable. Like every time he's on the screen, you cannot take your oh. eyes off him. Like what's your, like I could rattle off five, like most movies, it's like that was the scene. Yeah. This was the scene. In in The Dark Knight, there's the first scene, that, that the start. It's when the Joker is uh, first meeting all the other bad guys yeah. and he like smashes the yeah. dude's face on the pencil and there's the party up at the high rise where they break in and he, he grabs maggie gyllenhaal's face where he's like that which is all improvised yeah. i heard where he, he like she wasn't expecting him to like grab his her face and stuff like that scene is wild uh the scene in the in the jail when batman and the joker have their like I, there are five or six just movie stealing scenes yes. in this movie yeah i i totally agree man it's 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 amazing how you're right he can make moment after moment feel fresh and so inspired First one to me, as you mentioned, the villains is the why so serious scene because he's telling us, you know, I got this scar, right? And he tells three different versions of it in the movie because yeah. oh, my dad got mad at me. And, you know, and he goes, you know, why so serious? And he gives the yeah. why so serious. <laughs> he kills yeah. the guy. The bank scene, as you mentioned, right out of the gate, but also the scene in prison there is being interrogated by Batman. Like that, that's great too because he's like, you know, I think that's, is it that scene where he says, I'm an agent of chaos? Or maybe that's when he talks to Two Face, but he's, he's basically saying, like, I'm like a little dog chasing a ball. I wouldn't know what to do once I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so excited. And all those scenes, Kyle eyed so well. But I really think the scene where he's talking to Harvey Dent is amazing. Because first off, he's dressed as a woman. So it's already funny when he's like, hi. And he gives that smile and it's hysterical. I remember like, laughing so loud in the crowd. But then the way he just kind of gets in Harvey Dent's head a little bit. He's like, you know, look at what happened. Like, he's trying to get a rise out of him. And the best part is when Harvey Dent gets the, the coin. That's right. Heads you live, tails you die. And Heath Ledger says, now you're talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dude, like, so he's good. goading this guy into absolute mayhem. I was like, yeah, great. I might die. This is how I get my jollies. And then later on, you see him again, dressed as a woman, pressing the button, trying to press the button. He's wearing a dress and nurses out, but eventually gets the explosion. You know, they often the, talk the tunnel about, scene, the tunnel scene tunnel where the scene. car flips. I didn't even I forgot about that. One. Yeah, yeah, that seems crazy. Too. So good. Let's all the money on fire and the whole you know habit he has of licking his. You know, he's licking his uh, bottom lip. Apparently, that was an issue with the prosthetic. The prosthetic was kind of falling yeah. off. So, he, you know, that that thing he's doing, which becomes like a, a reptile, right? This reptilian move that he does, almost like a frog sticking his tongue out. That was actually, he needed to do that to kind of keep the, the makeup of that prosthetic on. I also love that great shot where he has his head out the window and he's just kind of like swaying in the breeze, yeah. green hair flowing. Like that, that's just. You don't even hear the music yeah. there. I think he like, it's like a silent scene almost. It's a, I love that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, I agree. It's just a beautiful filmmaking by Nolan. And it's, you know, that's a long movie. I remember thinking like in the theater it was too long, but I rewatched it. I was like, it's too, it's long. It's 220, 230. It gets there. But, um, Again, the whole cast you mentioned, Gary Oldman, fantastic Academy Award winner in the movie, playing Commissioner Gordon, Morgan Freeman popping up. Bale's very good. I know my nephew, Faison's always laughing with the voice that uh, Batman does. It's a little bit too excessive the way Bale, it's... Bale's probably the worst in it, honestly. Like that voice, it, it is a little grating watching it again. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is normal. Yeah. Like, do you really need to talk like that? Like, is, is, is that really necessary? Like, I'm not sure about that choice of all the good choices yeah. this movie made. That one I don't think it well, but other than that, it's... um. 
it's really a special movie. And you know, part of it too is how much I like Aaron Eckhart. He was a really good actor, was fantastic in an early Neil LeBute movie in the company of men. And this kind of made him a star. I, I wish he kind of did more after this, but it's amazing to think about what Heath Ledger did. And this this blurb here from Sir Michael Caine as well. Talk about Ledger beat the odds in topping Jack Nicholson's Joker. Like, no, I, I love Jack Nicholson's Joker, to be clear. But here's what Michael Caine said. If you want to talk like Michael Caine, you must only <laughs> say a few words at a time. Jack was like a clown figure, benign but wicked. Maybe a killer old uncle. He could be funny and make you laugh. Heath's gone in a completely different reaction to Jack. He's like a really scary psychopath. He's a lovely guy, and his Joker is going to be a hell of a revelation in this picture. He'd never met Ledger before, so when Ledger arrived and performed, he gave Kane such a fright he forgot his lines. Uh, by the way, more- that was during the Maggie scene, I think. Yes, yeah, that's where he scared Michael Kane. I mean, it, it was shot in, in Chicago. This is all. This is also from Aaron Eckhart. He spoke about a unique experience he had with Heath Ledger during that hospital scene. He said that before lines were exchanged, Ledger would just walk around in character, mumbling to himself in an odd manner. All Eckhart could do at the time was just watch him while still in character. This went on for several minutes until Ledger got close to him. Eckhart felt compelled at that point to fiercely raise his hand up. Immediately, Ledger grabbed Eckhart's raised hand in an equally matched, fierce manner. When the scene was over, Ledger now out of character told Eckhart, that's what acting's all about. So it was unnerving for people there on set and off. And uh, again, it's so tragic to think about the sudden death from drug toxicity. I can't say it properly. And people talked about his disposition prior to his death. You know, he he said that the intense role took its toll. Its mental state caused him to be depressed. You know, people speculate perhaps took a wrong combination of drugs as a result. But then his family put those rumors to rest. And that far from being depressed, he had a lot of fun playing the role. He did suffer from insomnia throughout his life, but often take sleeping pills together with other prescription drugs. So it's way too easy to say that, you know, this role killed him. You know, that's an effect on him. Um, his family said he loved doing it. Back to my point about the licking of the lips. The documentary, I am Heath Ledger. Ledger's vocal coach on the movie, Jerry Grinnell, stated Leith had to continuously lick his lips due to his prosthetic coming off whenever he spoke. He eventually made this a tick of the character as he was filming. So made more money than Batman Begins' entire domestic run in only six days of release. A massive movie. And by the way, it changed the Oscars. Think about that. The movie should have been nominated for Best Picture. Was not. People were so irate, they go, that's it, change the rules. Rather than just five nominees, it's between five and ten and now ten. So think about that. The Dark Knight, people were so outraged. But this clearly should be a Best Picture nominee, if not a winner. Let's change the rules. Get more movies like this rather than those Academy Awards type movies. I also read that the scene where he's the like dresses the nurse walking out of the hospital yeah. and there's the explosion that like that was actually with like all the fake set like that was actually a real explosion that was at the wrong time because remember there's like it like scares him right yeah. there's an explosion and then there's another explosion and he like and that was actually not supposed to happen but the like Nolan just liked the way the wow. comedic of explosion here and then another one and that that genuinely startled him then they left it in that's pretty cool chris cody offering factoids as well explosions happening where they're not expecting hopefully nobody was harmed <laughs> at that time or any other time the dark knight for me please check it out it's streaming on max that's our reviews now it's time for our special guest It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us now is Lisa Cortez, Oscar-nominated, Emmy-winning producer and director and a terrific doc called Little Richard, Little Richard, excuse me, I Am Everything that's Available right now on Max. It dropped on Thanksgiving Day, so hopefully people were able to watch that in between uh, the football, the turkey, and the stuffing, and all the rest of it. Lisa, great to see you. Congrats on making a terrific doc. Thank you so much. We are having a great time with this film. We were just nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Music Film. So this is uh, this film is like the little engine that could. Oh, 100%. I remember hearing about the raves coming out of Sundance. So when the film came out in April, I said, I got to see this. was able to watch a screener. And now, as like I said, everyone's going to be able to watch it on streaming. You mentioned the Grammys. Let's start with the music. I mean, the music of Little Richard's unbelievable. The, the energy and the vibrancy. Um, it's remarkable to watch. And you were able to get so much great archival footage and just how exuberant he was on stage. What, what's what Little Richard's music mean to you? It is, it's joy. It is communion with spirit. It's call and response. And when I think of the music, what comes to mind is gumbo. You know, gumbo is, when you make it, is it's layered and it's an amalgamation of things. And that's what Little Richard did with his music. It's the gospel, it's the blues, it's the boogie-woogie. It's a little bit of the sacred and the profane. Well, you're bang on with the sacred and the profane because that's what I found most fascinating about the documentary. This is a guy who's uninhibited sexually. He's literally having orgies, men and women. And then minutes later, he's reading the Bible. And he talks about it in our film. Uh, and we cut to that lovely, sexy pose of him on the bed with the Bible. That's that's one of my favorite moments because oftentimes when you're creating a documentary you do not have the ability to have footage uh and um centering little richard's voice as a narrator in this film was so important at the beginning there was a very big search that we did to make certain we could find his voice to narrate the cradle to grave story. And that was an important part of the structure of, you know, giving him his flowers and allowing him the agency to tell his story in a way that he felt oftentimes had been denied to him. His upbringing, speaking of denial, had to be in denial for basically who he was. And I don't think that's surprising for men of that time, black men of that time. But how cruel was it? How closeted he had to be about who he really was in terms of his sexuality and uh, his feelings? Well, we have to remember that, you know, when Richard bursts on the scene, it's 1955. 1955 is the same year that Emmett Till is is murdered. So it's it's nothing for richard and other black people to be in peril to be lynched just simply for being forget about for being with a makeup and a bouffant your very existence was could be threatened in certain situations it's scary to think about that's exactly what he was dealing with his own safety because of who he was and like you said just being a black man of that era it was very very scary and then he could be uninhibited once he was able to perform in certain areas depending on where he was what was your reaction when you discovered that Tutti Frutti is about anal sex? <laughs> well, I, I don't think I'll be singing it with the kids at uh, parties anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Tutti Frutti, good booty. If it don't fit, don't force it. You can grease it, make it easy. I mean, you know, it didn't surprise me on one level because there is a history with African-American music of having coded language. Mm. And certainly the original lyrics are not that coded, but it is a part of playing with language, veiling what you're actually, you know, talking about. And I think it's really funny how the record label realized, wow, this is a great catchy song but there was no way 
that it could be, you know, that they could release it in that format. Yeah, that's well said, because otherwise uh, I could imagine the uh, commotion that would have caused his music again. Hold on, it, she needs a timeout right here. She was just doing the hands. Good time to pause. Yep. Thank you very much. It's just going to be steam veggies. Just looking <laughs> at what's here. Get some protein in there. Can we leave oh, this oh, part yeah. in? <laughs> okay. Um, Don't forget dessert, though. Let's get some ice cream. No. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. Not, okay. not for me. <laughs> but but because Thanksgiving's coming up and, you know, oh, there'll point. be lots of good food. So You're right. green salad and I think it's baked chicken because I'm really boring. No, it's okay. You get the protein. Oh, That's good. yeah. Baked chicken because there is shrimp and garlic sauce. No, I was going to say, baked chicken might be a little bit bland, but if you get some garlic sauce. Shrimp and garlic sauce. Yeah, shrimp and garlic sauce. There we go. We're all set now. Okay, perfect. Today's lunch was brought to you by Sophie's Cuban Cuisine. <laughs> we can give them a plug if you want. Yeah. All right. The music is is so powerful and so um, effervescent and everywhere. Like I think of uh, Fergie, you know, and that's on, she sampled the... Can't help it, right? From Little Richard, which I love his version more. I heard her song. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good song. Then I heard him. Like, oh my God, the girl can't help it. He's just screaming away. It just makes you want to get up and dance. I, think, I, I watched it recently on YouTube, and the first comment says, Every time I hear this song, I just want to get up and dance. Every time I hear Little Richard's music in general, you just want to get up and dance. Did you have that feeling too when you're in the editing room listening to this music? Oh, we certainly had our go to songs that brought us a lot of joy and inspiration. My personal one is Keep a Knockin'. I love the, the opening drum pattern, which was actually used by Led Zeppelin in their classic song, Rock and Roll. Mm. And it's like thunder and it's like crazy energy. Little Richard's music, ha you know, we know has a lot of joy, but it also has a lot of pain. You know, if you're mm. listening to his gospel songs, they're super poignant. It's almost like we're meeting the flip side of Richard. And that's something that in telling his story, it was important for me to navigate through the roller coaster ride that Richard goes on, the tremendous fame, leaving it all behind and going to Bible school, going back into rock and roll, getting into sex drugs and rock and roll, going back to, to his faith because that was a part of the struggle. And I think that's a part of the churn that we hear in his music, which really makes his presence so unique. Yeah, that conflict is always there. And I thought that was really interesting later in the doc when, you know, he was always religious to a certain extent, but I think later in life he became even more religious and he was denouncing a lot of his previous behavior. And, you know, he was criticizing homosexuality as a way of life. How did you approach that? How did you interpret that? Well, when you're doing a bio doc, there is a, a great tendency to fall in love with your subject, as I did with Richard. But I knew very early in my research that there were things that he did that were harmful, harmful to communities that he was a part of. And I did not want this film to be about hagiography and that everything he did was so wonderful because that makes for a boring story, but it also makes for a story that's not honest. And, and my job as a filmmaker, as a documentarian, is to interrogate and interrogate the places that are sticky and uncomfortable, but in Richard's case, make for a very complex person and a story that is not only about his journey, but it's also about American culture and where we are now. So all of these things are in conversation through the, the story of Richard and the idea that it can only be all the good things that Richard did. It was never uh, a guiding principle in the storytelling. What was his full name and why did he come upon the moniker Little Richard? When he was on the road during the doing the vaudeville circuit, he was actually named that by, you know, one of his mentors. 
Because it's funny, you look back and you go, you know, you could pick so many different names, Big Richard, King Richard, naturally, but Little Richard, but it's it fits them naturally. It's great to see, especially later in the doc, he gets his flowers, so to speak, right? He's inducted to the Rock Wall of Fame and beloved by so many, and you see him on stage and he's just living his life. Which artist today would you say specifically you can point to or really influenced by Little Richard's music? I think it's a it's an amalgamation. I wouldn't say there's one artist. You know, we it, we like to say that Little Richard, when he arrived on the scene, was elemental. He was like the big bang, and he unleashed this energy, this DNA, and that we all have a little bit of his DNA, this transgressive energy that is challenging the norms and pushing music and culture forward. So certainly, you know, I, I, I thought it was amazing this Halloween when Little Nas X did a full-scale tribute to Richard uh, that one can still see on Instagram. Not only did he dress like Richard in some of his iconic images, but he also took the beginning of our film and what Richard is saying, and he actually, it's a split screen, so it's Richard in the bottom half and Little Nas in the top half, and he's actually mouthing the same words that Richard is saying and, and you know, acknowledging in his posts the important role that Richard played as one of the key architects of rock and roll. And if you haven't seen it, uh, listeners, go to Little Nas X's Instagram because it's it's really thoughtfully, professionally and and, and beautifully done how he dressed up to the T exactly what Richard had done. It's a great tribute by Lil Nas X, and the documentary is a great tribute to the music of Little Richard and his life as well. Lisa Cortez, Oscar-nominated, Emmy-winning producer-director, Little Richard, I Am Everything. Go see it right now on Max. Lisa, can't thank you enough for the time. It was a wonderful doc, and enjoyed spending some time with you. Thank you. Take care. All right, thank you once again to Lisa Cortez. Check out I Am Richard on Max. It was a lot of fun. Uh, back to that good guest. How about the, the guest we had last year, the author about Charlie Chaplin, talking about Chaplin and dipping his genitals in uh, oh, iodine. That was just, just, just that guy loved it when you got raunchy with Charlie. You, you asked him a couple softballs, and you're like, "All right, let's get dirty." <laughs> it was definitely all over it. Go make sure you check out his Charlie Chaplin book. Buy it now. And again, Lisa, you can support her documentary. Talking about Little Richard, Tutti Fruity. A song with anal sex. Try to get that out of your head the next time you listen to that song. Hopefully coming soon. Sebastian Maniscalco and a special guest. And much more movies as the screeners keep on pouring in. Thank you so much for supporting Cinephile. Two away from 300. I'll continue to dominate Samson every Thursday on the Dan Levitard Show. And I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>